Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. The biggest thing you got to think about in the beginning and just have as a philosophy, in my opinion, Dan, is you build community with people, not for people. So if you're trying to build a community for people, you're doing it wrong. What do brands like Warby Parker, Dr. Squatch, Vital Proteins, and Blendjet all have in common? They're increasing their abandoned cart revenues by over 10x with retention.com. Visit retention.com to book a demo today. Uh, Dan, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to dive in with you. And I want to just get started so people know your journey. So how did you even get into the marketing space? It was way back in 2008. It was about six months after I left college. I went to school up in New Hampshire And the recession wasn't technically underway yet. This was the fall of 2007. And I was trying to figure out what was going on in my life. And it was at the time, though, the the Lehman Brothers collapse happened and all the financial stuff starts to really unfold. And I got a job. I was so lucky to get a job at the beginning of 2008 at a small, small startup. Um, I mean, it was like 12 people when I joined I was doing like market research. Funny enough, um, it was basically the equivalent of what you consider a Zoom Info today or done in Bradstreet, doing research on the Fortune 2000, if you will, and their technology, software, and hardware. And then we were selling that to the companies to use who were doing you know, prospecting, outbounding, et cetera, into that. And I was doing that for like a year during the, during the recession, and we were trying to keep the business going. Just say, hey, let's keep growing it. Let's try to keep it going, right? It was hard economically. And we went to Google and typed how to generate more leads. Guess what came up? HubSpot. We purchased HubSpot. And that's how I got my first entry point into marketing. You could call it inbound marketing, if you will. And I want to get into a topic that you are really passionate about, and that's community. So how do you think about community and how should companies think about starting to create community? So the biggest thing you got to think about in the beginning and just have as a philosophy, in my opinion, Dan, is you build community with people, not for people. So if you're trying to build a community for people, you're doing it wrong. I'll give you an example. When I was a HubSpot user customer before I joined HubSpot, I went to the very first ever HubSpot user group. This is a fact. This was out in central mass. I vividly remember it because... That event, it was like 30, 40 people, is where I got introduced to someone who at the time worked at HubSpot, who later became my referral to HubSpot. And that was all because of a community-driven type of experience and event. An actual HubSpot customer hosted that event, but HubSpot enabled the event to happen. So that's a prime example of a HubSpot way back in 2010. This was March 2010, maybe February 2010, saying... Hey, we want to continue to grow this community 
of customers. It was just about a thousand customers at that time, but we're going to enable HubSpot user group leaders, the actual community members to do that. We'll provide you with some money, some reimbursement, some, some resources. And I was very involved in that program. Uh, my wife, funny enough, was the manager of the HubSpot user group program at HubSpot for like two years. We met outside of HubSpot, but she managed that program. And that is just a classic example of building community with people and not for people. It's also like the classic saying of why is great social media is talking with your audience, not at your audience. It's, it's that feeling of bringing people together and creating conversation. It's not you're the center of the community and you're growing it. What are some challenges of building community now? I mean, it's, people have been doing it for a while, like HubSpot. What are some of the biggest challenges of building community? I really think focus. And with most things in, in marketing right now, Dan, is, is focus. Because community is a buzz term. It's all the rage because the pandemic kind of made it be the rage. It's like, hey, you know, like, let's let's figure out how to bring people together during this really hard time, which is awesome. But it be, it's become kind of just this hollow type word. It's like, well, how do you, what, what is community? So when you think about like what you're trying to do to either like jumpstart a community with your current customers or with just your brand fans, if you're really early on, or if you're a more established business, you got to pick one or two things. For example, for us at Aramid, we're just trying to use events to nurture and grow the community with our members. And we're trying to get more and more of our members to become the leaders, the speakers, the hosts, the experts at the event, in the event, and just trying to become a facilitator of those people that join our events. We're just trying to bring people together, join people together so they can learn from each other, have a good laugh, have some type of unique experience or something like that. And 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 that's it, right? So we've decided to use events as that tool, channel, whatever you want to call it, thing that starts to bring our community closer to closer together. We're not trying to do like Facebook group or, you know, a big Slack thing or all these other programs. We're just trying to be very focused and deliberate. So the first thing you have to ask yourself is the classic, like who who are you trying to build a community with? So that's like where you start. That's pretty you know obvious for most marketers, I would think. Then it's like, what are you going to say no to? So always start with saying no to the things before you just say yes, 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 yes. And we can talk more about what I think could be some interesting things to say yes to versus no to and vice versa. But the simple answer is focus. Yeah, let's dive into the what to say yes to and what to say no to, especially when if someone, let say like you're the CMO, but like you tag someone with, let's build a community. Where does someone say yes and where does someone say no? to doing that? The first thing I would look at is is like three things. One is the capability and skill sets of your team, the current communities and networks that your uh, leadership team and other marketing team members are participating in, or sometimes even maybe like have leadership positions in, and we can get into that one. And then just fundamentally your, your actual financial resources. So it's like your skill sets and capabilities. Where are you already participating in a community that matches into your ideal customer profile slash buyer personas, if you will, and then you're just resources. 
once you have those things answered and you could just, you know, it doesn't have to be like crazy detailed, but you have to answer those questions that will then help you start to define kind of where you go first, possibly. Because for example, say you have a limited money, your skill sets across the team are decent, uh, meaning, you know, you have marketers who you know, have five, six years of experience and, and maybe you have, you know, some that are been involved in community building and, and using community type activities and turning that into demand capture. And then you also have, uh, you know, a couple of, of leaders on the team, either in your product team, marketing team, sales, executive team, co-founders that have a presence in a few communities that make sense from a, an ICP, you know, buyer customer standpoint. Where would I go first? Uh, you know, and this is something that Dan at Chili Piper really pioneered for, for his brand of business. And they still do this today. They just go and participate in those places and partner with the people in those communities so that, uh, yeah, you know, Ch- Chili Piper is kind of adding value to that community in a way that feels very organic and natural. And you're not trying to directly pull people back into Chili Piper, for example, right? You're just saying, look, look, I, hey, first off, I'm here to learn from you all. But secondly, secondly, I'm here to help this community uh, learn a little bit more about this topic that, you know, we have a good amount of thought leadership or expertise around. And, you know, how, how can we pay it forward? And that's the other mindset you want to have when it comes to community building. It's this whole idea of like paying it forward. I love meeting the, the people where you are and then start supporting at first. I think a lot of people think they need to like build this internal like Slack channel and bring, put all these members in there. But I think like simply just showing up and sponsoring a talk that people are giving in a community or having it, they're having a dinner at inbound, like sponsoring a dinner at inbound. They're just showing up and their name is showing up wherever markers are. And they show up being like the ones that are bringing people together. It's not, I mean, sometimes you'll say like, Hey, we're chili piper. Give you a little quick pitch. Cause you have to do that. But at the end of the day, People remember, oh, I went to that Chili Piper party or I went to that webinar that Chili Piper put on, not that they pitched me. And they'll even remember, hopefully more than that, they'll remember the interaction they had with the person. And maybe that person was from Chili Piper, to your point, right? They're repping the company, the brand, but it's like the person-to-person interaction. The other way to think about it, too, is like you you want to – and I, I definitely learned this through – working a lot with Darmesh at HubSpot, add value before taking value. So you just want to add a lot of these value points, right? So so for example, Forrester does a lot of surveys every year, but one of the big surveys they do every year is like, how many interactions does a buyer have to have with your company until they become a customer? It's gone up and up and up. Just recently from uh, 2020 to 2021, they haven't done the 2022 survey yet, at least it's not out. It went from 19 to 27. So it went from 19 interactions to 27 interactions. The question then is like, how can you use community to create more of those interactions, right? So, and when you think about it from an event standpoint, the reason why I'm so bullish on like events and community building is there's, there's a couple of interactions that happen before the event. They sign up 
And that might make them also check out like, you know, one of your content pages. So there's one or two interactions. They attend the event and maybe engage in the event a few in a few different ways, either in person or virtual. There's a couple more interactions. They check out the content after the event. By the time it's over, you've you've had an interaction with the customer for five, six, seven times, and you're just adding hopefully some value to them each and every time. And to your point, that could be your own hosted event. That could be an event that you co-sponsor or just participated in some way. But the more times you can kind of leave an impression with someone, right? And that's kind of what community building is all about. Just leaving these impressions, the higher chance they're going to recall Chili Piper, Drift, HubSpot, whatever it might be, and uh, come looking to you for when they have a problem that you could help them solve. What is your vetting process of like what adds value and what doesn't add value? Because you can also have the negative interaction. They attend an event and they didn't get anything out of it or like hated it or why did I show up? So how do you evaluate that before doing an event or make your speakers or whoever is putting on the event? Let me give you the example of the event framework we use. So it always starts with community building, with an event, with the who. And I don't feel like people get specific enough with the who. So truly defining, not from like a persona standpoint, but like, who do you want to attend this event? The second thing you have to think about when you think about the who is why would they show up? So it's not just like, why would they register, but why would they show up? So the who and the why, you have to critically think about that. We put this into just a brief. And if you can't clearly articulate the who and the why, and typically the, the best ways I've seen this done is you do it in partnership either with your sales team, your CS team, you do it with another, like the product team, if it's more of a product type, you know, community event, right? Launch event or whatever it might be. And you're really trying to define their success. A lot of people start with our success. Like, why are we doing this event and what type of event should we do? It's it's, it's backwards, right? So it's the, the who, the why. Of course, you got to think about the why for your business. Like, why are you doing this event, you know, from a business level standpoint? But what people also get wrong is they don't take enough time to really think through the how, how am I going to craft an experience? And um, um, Nick, Nick, uh, Nick Bennett uh, from Alice, he's always talking about how are you crafting that experience at these events? He's like, his company is all about this like idea of uh, five to nine, not nine to five, right? So it's like if you're going to do an event that's you know like a you know, five to nine, five p.m. to nine p.m. example, how do you craft an experience? To your point, Dan, that people remember and leave with a positive um, impression. So that's in the classic event, like language and lingo, the run of show. So if you think about the, a community event, like the HubSpot user group example I gave, the best, what we got really good at HubSpot, what my wife started to do is, is enable, literally enable the HubSpot user group leaders to learn how to create better experiences through the HubSpot user group events they hosted through crafting agendas and runs of show that were compelling and aligned to who was coming to the event. What was the theme of the event? What was the kind of like the that ninety minute? It was usually ninety, you know, two uh, ninety to one hundred twenty minute event. How would you design that, right? Then and only then, after you figured out the who, the why, the how, you think about what type of event is best suited to bring those three elements together. So, to me, this can be applied to almost anything, right? It can be applied applied to you know you think about a community. Who are you trying to potentially? It's the selfish way to think about it, but who are you trying to to get to recognize that Alice is an awesome solution for gifting? Then it's like, well, 
Why would those community members uh, want to partner with you? That's the first thing. And then why, why are you trying to partner with the community? That's probably more obvious. Then how would you actually go about partnering with that community? Do you want to just engage? Do you just want to get some of your people in your company to engage and just be, you know, just, just organically do it? Or do you want to take a more direct route? And like what Dan does, he sponsors these, these events, right? He's like, all right. Like, so to me, I think it's all about aligning incentives. And to do that well, you have to look at, you have to talk to people and you have to look at the data. You know, if we could go, we could talk about the data side, but I'm more interested in learning just from like, people attending an event, people who participated in a thing we did in a community, what do they think about that? The most important thing is like the recommendation. Would they recommend this piece of content, this community event, this podcast to another person? And if they would, then you're, you're doing good things. If they're like unsure, you've got the things to fix. And if they don't, then somehow the equation that we just talked about is misaligned. I think a lot of people, what you, what you said, also don't think about when you're creating an experience. Like A lot of these people, especially for events, have to get out their busy day to go attend it. And why? what's the reason why would they attend that event? And if it's just like a, a normal event that everybody throws, like why does it matter to them to attend that event? You have to make it compelling that the experience is at least a little bit different than someone else is doing to make them leave their kids at home to go join your event, go like they could be going to watch their favorite Netflix show and come to your event. So what, how do you create that hype around it that it's like actually valuable to me that I, I, I could leave my home, go to this dinner or event and leave behind my social life to do it? So I think a lot of people forget about that part. Yeah, I mean, it, you have to move from like this mindset of like Zoom equals meetings. You could say hop in equals events. And what we're trying to do at Airmeet, we're trying to create experiences because like the way that you attract most people to an in-person event or online event today is through the speakers and the content. But we all know that we're basically at a, at a breaking point of that, right? Because there's only so many speakers so many good content. So now what marketers are gonna have to do is really, really push the bounds on, to your exact point, how do you create a differentiated experience and how do you do that both online and in person? And in, in my opinion, the way you do that is first first off by simplifying the event. Like you don't need a three hour event. You can create an amazing, really unique experiences experience with the right software or with the right venue for 30 minutes or an hour. And you probably might actually get more people to sign up and show up because it's less time you're asking them to commit. To your point, I have two kids. I do not go to as many events as, as I used to. Even if I didn't have two kids because of the pandemic, my habits and preferences have changed. I will would not have, if I didn't have two kids, would not have gone or would not be going to, I should say, as many events in the past. If I, you know, I used to go to like, say five events a month. Now with kids, I go to maybe one to two a quarter. If I, if I didn't have kids, it'd probably be one to two a month. It, it, just because, like, again, like, your your lives have just fundamentally changed. Um, but I will go to an event, for example, um, Sixth Sense invited me to something that I, I would go to, but I'm going to be out of town, which is a unique experience. Actually, one of my favorite restaurants in Boston uh, coming up. And it's like, whoa, well, 
I don't know if they knew that was my favorite restaurant. Maybe they did. That's pretty good intel. But yeah, I mean, if I wasn't away, I would go to that event. <laughs> Some people did that cool stuff in the pandemic. And I think they keep a lot of markers are forgetting that did that, like a cool cooking class with like a, a famous chef to bring people over or like this. So that like something that just brings people together to talk and have a conversation. But it's also like, I never had a, been able to do a cooking class before and I want to do it. And like, it gives me a reason to do something else and go to the event instead of just being like, Oh, I'm going to the event to see another speaker. Okay. I could maybe go read a book or go listen to a podcast to see that. Um, so a question I have for you is what is a marketing hill you would die on? So now I've been at four companies, three tech companies though. Two out of the three, including the one I'm at now, did this really well, uh, did it pretty well. We could still be better, but transparent pricing. I think a lot of a lot of people do that well. And I think also like there's very few use cases that you shouldn't be transparent for your pricing. And that's usually like high-end enterprise multi-million dollar deal um but there's not many use cases for at least give a starting price like let me know where i need to like put some budget like give me something to work with like uh so i know like it's in a certain range that i can ask for if i'm gonna go look for this i mean salesforce does exactly what you said dan if you go to salesforce's pricing page at least it was like this three months ago they sell tens of millions of dollars of deals you know in size right like they have a starting price I'd say if you want to unpack that one a bit more, give people the option to either buy your product on their own, so the, a lower end version, which you could use to upgrade, and or give someone a free product. Like I will not join another company in my in my time as a marketing leader that that doesn't do that. It just because the mindset of marketing has changed a little bit because if you think of like the e-commerce mindset, like the marketer's job is to make a sale at the end of the day. And it's hard if you have all these barriers to entry to even make that, the marketer's job is becomes like less and less important. And I think also it's still important but because you have to make brand, but I'm just saying, like I think a lot of marketers are not comfortable with not knowing how to get someone to go complete a purchase because they've never had to do that. Where a lot of e-commerce marketers are doing that. It's more like, I think everybody needs marketing. It's more that a lot of B2B marketers I know is just like, oh, I need to just capture a lead and that's it. Um, it's not like see the lead through a sale. And that's why PLG and all this is is hard for a lot of marketers because it's you have to convince someone to sign up for something without a sales rep even involved in the process, which is hard for a lot of people to comprehend. It's a great point. There's a massive skill set divide. People just lack the skill sets, the experience to do that in the B2B standpoint. But to your point, it's also probably why so many people on B2B or within B2B are trying to build communities. Because what does a good D2C type company, B2C type company do? They have community. They have influencers. They have raving fans. They, They do a lot of community building. They do. Like... There's countless amounts of examples of this, right? It's also funny because like I was listening to someone talk about doing a something at South by Southwest and they're a consumer product. And 
like the whole intention was just to meet people where they are and an activation at Saba. And there was, there had nothing to do. There was no sales reps there. There's nothing. All it was just to make sure like that their company's at the right place at the right time with the right people and make sure that they understand that that, and they create event around that. And it's just so that they know that like, their brand is and that's what d to c products do is just make sure like they're in the right place with the right people at the right time where their buyer should be and if they want to buy their product they can but it's a huge branding play for them as well but a lot of people just don't think about that in b2b because of either attribution or growth goals or other factors but it's just crazy I know it's tough to predict what's going to happen in the future, but what is a trend that you're seeing right now that a lot of marketers should jump on that aren't doing right now? We just kind of talked about one. It's hard though, because you need the product team in alignment with your executives to do it, but some type of a free product or low end transactional type of product experience. That's, that's one, but that's slightly a trend. I'd say, you know, that's probably not a good answer. This is not so much a trend. Yet it's a very big, buzzy thing. You know, if you look at B2C companies, one of my places I go to for information is like the drum.com. The drum is a pretty cool publication and they have a whole weekly publication around metaverse and web three. Really what that is, is like from the metaverse standpoint, it's like AR, VR. So what's one of the only things that you as a person have that, has not been disrupted by technology yet, like physical thing. But one of those things is your glasses slash contacts. Even like, you know, a heart implant influenced by technology, right? Like they put chips in your body, right? There's this technology all, you know, look, my, my wrist, complete technology, right? Like what's one of the things that you use? Headphones, technology, right? Errors, like everything, right? So once this hardware catches up, and it will happen soon, because if you look at the patents that have been filed, if you look at everything that's gone down in the last 10 to 15 years when it comes to like AR, VR, we're so close to the tipping point where the lines intersect, where the cost is that it's cheap enough, manufacturing is possible, and you can scale it and you can sell it. That is going to unlock for, for B2B marketers a tidal wave of innovation when it comes to, like we talked about before, experiences. We're just waiting for this hardware to come. So the trend that you can get on now is like getting better at delivering unique experiences to your customers in different formats. So it could be in an online event platform. It could be through uh, an online chat tool. It could be through an in-person event. It could be through a new way, you know, someone consumes your content, but there hasn't really been a technology thing, especially in the hardware side that creates this like, like the iPhone did or the laptop did, the PC did, a staggering step in innovation, right? We're just waiting for that to happen, Dan. So I, I kind of give you a half answer, but in, in my opinion, it's moving your mindset away from content. And that's kind of crazy if I'm saying like I'm a content person to experiences because content is so table stakes these days. And it's, it's so just like saturated, so hard to do. Like, experiences is where it's at now. Well, what you're saying too is like, how do you make your 
content part of the experience instead of like just having content like what how do you integrate both into the whole story that i'm trying to tell because also for like social it's like how do i weave the story of my content to make a certain experience that someone wants to tell from social media and how do i i I weave content to do that it's, and stop thinking of it. It's just like, I need to create one post or two posts. It's like, okay, create 10 posts or 30 posts. That is an experience that people are on a journey doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people think of it as one post or one story. It's just like, that's what I think is social. It's like, if you play the long game long enough, it is basically a story that you're trying to tell. And a lot of people just think about like, I need to post this, 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 and this, instead of like, how do I make it into a story that I'm trying to tell my end buyer at the end of the day? So well said. I mean, that is like spot on. Thinking of it as transactional, right? Like like one off, like you were saying like, "Eh, I just got to do this versus purpose based, you know, content marketing that actually has a, like a story behind it. Like for me, the way I post on LinkedIn, it's honestly just a open journal of mine when it comes to marketing and business and team building, etc. I do not have a story, maybe like what you're trying to develop. I'm literally just firing off thoughts. Like yesterday I had two thoughts. So I posted twice on LinkedIn, which is pretty rare for me. And I was like, one is about time management and the other one was about just webinars and my disdain for how webinars need to be completely disrupted. And that's it. But at the same time, it's like even for you, it might not be like a purposeful thing, but at the same time, you the way you said like journal is like you're telling your internal thoughts and stories to a crowd like i don't think you need to have it in like mapped out 30 days i just like think you just need to know what the mission of what you're trying to do is and then you can create content around it like i don't think like i need to map up 30 posts it's just more like i'm trying to be known as this i want to be seen as this type of person i want to do this and then and then just post and not think about it like just post around those things but like the way you just said open journal is like that is basically an experience you're giving your audience because you're giving them an experience of like what you're thinking and how you're thinking about something. But it's not like you're going to go talk about, let's say like race car driving the next day and then (laughs) marketing and then trees, like, and then marketing. It's like, it's purposeful in that type of thing. But I think a lot of people just think of it as just like, I just need a post today instead of like, what going back to what why they're doing it and what they're trying to achieve out of it and i think that's the problem is like with a lot of people creating content online or experiences like they just don't know why it weaves in with like their purpose of what they're trying to do and that's becomes a problem you said it better than i could have because that's exactly where i was going with that i i I actually do have a story i'm unpacking it's just from this different point of view and like if i had to give you a tip on you know, you're listening right now, how to kind of get to that point. Like Dan said, what's the end state? Just write down like this. I think this came from Apple, but like write down the press release that someone would write would write about you two years from now, describing, you know, you basically like announcing like, you know, something about you or like just write, write like the headline or a set of headlines. And like, that's all you're trying to do, right? Because like, that's what people are trying to over time, like, 
position you in their mind as. It's just a positioning exercise, right, Dan? Basically. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think it was I, I it was Apple and I think they do it for like product marketing and they say like, what is the press release of this product going to be two years from now? And then instead of just creating a product and then doing the product marketing, like they align the whole team around like, okay, product, you're building this, marketing, you're telling the story about this, but at least they have a vision of what like they're trying to go at. And I think there's no like set path, but at least you have a vision to do something. And I think a lot of people just don't think about that vision. They just think about, I want to grow to a hundred thousand followers, which is a, is a good a goal to have, but it's not like how are you going to be able to sustain yourself doing that for a while and being able to create and not burn out and all these little things. And then also at a hundred thousand followers doesn't mean there's a story that you told anybody. It just could be like you grew a hundred thousand followers and you beat the algorithm. <laughs> uh, well, well said. <laughs> yeah. Because remember content is a product. To your point content is a product. That's why I always say like, there's product market fit and there's content market fit. Content market fit is to me is like, does your content fit the platform, the story you're trying to tell, the people you are, you're trying to tell? It's exactly how you think about product. Like, if I'm going to go create on LinkedIn tomorrow, is my audience there, first of all? What do they care about on that platform? Do they even care about the message that I'm about to say on this platform? How am I going to, like, and if they do care, how am I going to create it to fit the platform instead of like the format? To, and then you just go down, make sure that those things fit. Like like you said with the events, it's like, go find where people are hanging out right now instead of just like, I'm going to go create a Slack community because that's what everybody's doing. And nobody's hanging out on Slack. And then you're screwed because nobody's hanging out on Slack. Because um, that's not where they hang yeah, out. Slack's not an experience. <laughs> it's not a good experience. Typically. Yeah. <laughs> What's something, if you were starting out today, that you would give advice to someone starting in marketing that they would come back and thank you five years later? Like, what's something you wish someone told you five years ago or when you started your career? Write every day. Even if you don't publish it, write every day. A lot of people talk about that. I started writing a good amount when I was building the MVP minimal viable product of HubSpot Academy back in late 2010. We were doing experiments with on-demand trainings and webinars in October, November, December, 2010, getting a lot of people to show up because there was really no one else kind of doing it. And it was HubSpot at the time. And, you know, there was way less MarTech. It was, it was easier. I'll say that much, Dan. It was much easier. But then I would take a lot of those things and I would write blog articles from them and I wasn't smart enough to say, oh, we should transcribe this. There wasn't like rev.com, I don't think back then. I would just I would just take notes of it, right? Do some pre pre stuff, take notes during it, take questions that were had during these webinars and, tra- and you know, online training sessions. And I would write blog articles and create content from it. And that's how we built the first iteration of HubSpot Academy. It was called Content Camp. And I, we created all these guides and resources from it. So we were repurposing that stuff kind of from the beginning. And that writing... It helps you get a better understanding of your thoughts and how to sound, uh, how to make something sound super simple, yet also compelling to someone. And at the end of the day, it goes back to the point you made about storytelling. Like write to try to figure out how to tell the story 
of some part of the brand, the company, the product, how to stitch those things together potentially. But the best salespeople and the best marketers, and you mentioned this as well, they're kind of one and the same these days. They're just great at convincing people. Convincing, so how do you convince people? It's communication. How do you get better at communication? Write stuff down. And then if you wanna get better, better at verbal communication, like presenting, read off what you write and start to like, not like just remember it, but understand it. And then you go up the hierarchy of Bloom's taxonomy where you're able to get to the pinnacle of that mountain of Bloom's taxonomy, which is the, the creator, the create, and you're able to create new ideas or take ideas, stitch them together, concepts, and create some original thought leadership. And you do that through just practicing writing. I honestly think writing is just showing how messy you think is. And then like, once you write, then you can start cleaning up your thoughts by just looking what you wrote down. And I think a lot of people, it's just, if you put it on paper, you could see how messy you're thinking and how well you actually know the topic or don't know the topic. And then you could figure out where the gaps are, but you can't do that if you, unless you talking to yourself and listening to yourself talk and spitting out things all the time. Like the only way to do it is write and see like, what is your brain actually think about this topic? Cause sometimes like I'll write something and be like, Oh, actually I don't know enough about this topic. I'm not an expert at this topic. Like how can I get better at this topic? And then some things I'm like, Oh, I actually understand this like well, better than I thought. But every single time it's always the first draft is messy as hell. Like it's even if I, even if I know the topic, um, that's why to your point, like that's how people are better speakers too, because they basically say the same thing over and over and over. Like they've nailed down their, their thoughts over and over and over. There's this great phrase like write hot, edit cold. So when you're writing, just go, just write, 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 and then stop come back to it and, and take your time with the editing. Just edit kind of slowly. So, you know, you know, write fast, edit slow. That's a good copywriting tip. Who in the space is inspiring you as a marketer today? I would have to say it's the people that are championing really important societal causes, basically, right? So, the, the, you know, the support of all of these underrepresented communities and groups of people, and they might not think of themselves as marketers and that's, that's fine. But at the end of the day, like they're building communities. These are, these are people that, you know, and they're going through a lot right now. Like the whole world, especially America is going through a lot in this regard. There's just such division, but the people who are really trying to make the world a better place for future generations. And that's really the lens I look at it through. Like, are you trying to leave the world in a better place for the future generation or generations or kind of the same or worse? And that's pretty objective when you when you look at it like that. It's a pretty objective way to look at it. So I really value and look at the hard work that those people are doing and try to learn from them because they have so much going on in terms of what they're up against and how they're trying to build that community, activate the community, you know, build it with people, um, not get discouraged, figure out what's going to resonate with people, try to get, try to at least have a dialogue with the other side. So it's those people that are trying to leave the world in a better spot and make it more equitable for other people. That's, that's really what I'm paying a lot of attention to. 
And I think you can learn a lot if you really pay and, and also participate in that as well. And, and you can apply some of those learnings into, into B2B. I love that because it's like you have to change a majority thinking to go for your core cause a lot of the time. And that's a really hard thing to do. And a lot of these groups have been doing it for a long time to get to the place that they are. But it's how do I make my minority voice like understood by a majority of people who learned something a certain way, who've been thinking the same way for years? That's such a hard thing to do. And credit to people who do that. That's so it's crazy. How and then also like not being what I love what you said is not being discouraged to do it because it's the the amount of times you get knocked down by people telling you like no or this is a bad idea or you shouldn't be doing this or people are stopping the roadblocks and that and the way to do it is crazy so great point yeah. last thing I have for you is how could people find you and Anything you're up to right now, I just want to leave the floor to you. Oh, yeah, it's simple. Just just head on over to LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn and Twitter. I was one of those folks, Dan, on Twitter that was like super early, like 2007, 8. And my, <laughs> I'm still I'm still active. I check it every almost every day, but I don't post as much. And like, it's so interesting. Twitter's gotten so interesting. Like, I think you're pretty big on Twitter, though. Quick, quick. I want to ask you a question, though. Quick thing with Twitter. How often do you post and engage on Twitter? Probably post one or two times a day. I'm more engaged than I post um, on Twitter. But the thing about Twitter to me is it's the one place where I can like easily control the people I follow in the niche that I'm in. Um, where like LinkedIn, I can't do that very well. Um, there's not many places where you could do that. TikTok gets fed to me like naturally. But if I want to control, like, I want these to see see these cool voices continuously, like, I can control that where not many platforms could give that to me. Um, that's why I love Twitter, because I can, it's a very easy way to consume content. That, and then there's search functionality to find things. It's very easy. So, like, if I miss something, I could go look at, like, what was these people's top five tweets and... Like, let me get some thoughts about that. Um, no platform allows you to do that as well as Twitter. Uh, but TikTok is great because it feeds you that. But it's not like I can be like, hey, feed me all marketing content and they'll do it. They won't do it. So like it's the one place I could just focus on marketing online. I just learned a few things. That's super interesting. But yeah, so, so that's what I was assuming. You you engage more with other people than just post and that's how you can continue to kind of build up the right type of um, following on Twitter. Okay. Exactly. You just find people who are like you and like who resonate with your voice and the marketing community is big on there. Some people will agree with you and some people will disagree with you. Some people like you, some will don't, but like at least you can find your gap there. LinkedIn has been really hard for me because the popular people show up all the time, but I don't get to see everybody that I want to see. And I'm just like, I spend more time decluttering LinkedIn than actually consuming on there. So that's why it's a hard platform. It's a great platform to produce though, because it allows you to get your message to more than just your following easier. So that's why I like it. 
but it's very hard. Like if you have a smaller following, like I wish I can go back and have like a way to like control my following, but also have the same amount of followers. <laughs> so like my feed is like great. And then I can like also be able to amplify what I want to say to marketers. Super. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you for teaching me that. Love that. Of course. Um, well, yeah, you're, you're crushing on LinkedIn. And also, if you want to give a little bit of like what you're doing at Airmeet right now and like, like what is event-based growth. I know you, 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 you event-led growth, you coined that term. And I think I haven't heard anybody say like we do event-led growth. So like, I think it's cool that you guys are doing that. No, I appreciate there. it. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't have to give a plug. I mean, check it out. You can Google it. There's, there's some content about it, event-led growth. But uh, it's definitely the playbook we used at Drift. So 50 to 60% of our pipeline came from our events and webinars at Drift Dan. 50 to 60% on a, on a quarterly basis. It's like mind-blowing. The rest came from like content, Drift Insider, and Outbound. So it's like, okay, that's interesting. So I was like, hmm, there's something here, right? And this was both pre- and post-pandemic. And we saw, I saw similar things at HubSpot. HubSpot, of course, is way more content-driven and product-led growth-driven. So it's not exactly you know like that. But again, content saturation, you know, you really have to think of content as a product, to your point, as, an, as a content experience. You know, what's one of the most important things a business can do these days is connect with people, get people to join together. I think events are the intersection of content, community building, and it's a way to get people to your product a little bit, you know, faster if you, if you do them on a more regular basis. So I'm bullish on events, I guess, Dan, you know? <laughs> I think one thing you guys did at Drift, and I think you're doing it at Airme too, but it's just like... I think what people lack in content marketing today is expertise and relevancy when it comes to content. And they either have the relevancy or the expertise, but they don't have both. And I think like, and a shout out to content marketers is a hard job, but like, if you don't understand your audience, like Drift had a lot of people who understood marketers and in seats to be able to talk about it and a lot of connections so they could talk about it you could talk about it because you built community and you have that expertise of building community and events so you could talk about it but a lot of people it's like hard to create content if you've never done it before and i think a lot of mark content marketing is just like saying things that sound good instead of like actually doing ex with expertise um and that's it's hard it's really hard because like if you're not a marketer and been in marketing for years, like it's hard to write like a marketer. If you're not a plumber, it's hard to write about plumbing because you've never done it before. Like it's just like that's where like why I think I'm bullish also like creators and influencers and stuff like that telling stories because they're actually doing it. Um, so just why I thought my thoughts of like why I think you guys crushed it because and why webinars work because you guys became like the experts at marketing and people just followed you for that. Well said. That's, it's well said. I appreciate the the compliments as well, Dan. Uh, but it's like the 10,000 hour rule, right? I mean, you got you to gotta do something for 10,000 hours. Like, And most content marketers aren't able to do that. So when, just as a quick last tip, I when I hire content marketers or lots of different folks on, my, on, the, on the marketing team, but especially content marketers and, and product marketers, I'm trying to see Yes, do they have experience, but how passionate are they and excited about about the topic 
or the, the it's big, bigger than a topic, but the, the industry, the category we're asking them to create content or product marketing around and for, right? So it's the passion. If you're not, if people don't have passion, it's going to be like pulling teeth, pulling teeth. <laughs> I mean, I love that advice because if they have passion, they're also willing to like learn more about the topic to write about it. Um, if they don't, that's like the, the part that a lot of people miss is like, if I don't have a passion about a topic, I'm not willing to go learn about it, which makes me not be able to write about it better. Because a lot, lot of great content marketing is just teaching what they learned, like to people. <laughs> so, but this has been great. Thank you for joining. I really enjoyed this. Chat. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. That that was a fast hour. So thank you, Dan, and uh, thanks for listening, everyone. If you got to the end, appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.